Hello and welcome to Clappercast, a weekly discussion of all things cinema. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief, Jack Luke Sharp, and today I'm happy to be joined by Carson Tamar. Hello, hello. And Jakob Flash. Hello. On today's episode, we're discussing Jessica Swell's Summerland, starring Jim Arterton, Alice Winnicker's Proxima, starring Eva Green, and finally, Sally Potter's The Road's Not Taken, starring Javier Bardem and Elle Fanning. Let's start with our first review of Summerland. Would you think it was strange if a woman loved another woman? No. It's not, you, you didn't, it's just, most people think it's wicked. Why? (laughs) I don't know. They think it's a sin to love someone. We should burn in hell. It's not as bad as marrying somebody you don't like. A woman during the Second World War opens her heart to an evacuee after initially resolving to be rid of him. Carson, let's begin with you. Look, I mean, Summerland, I think it's very clear, like, when you're watching this, it's not like a groundbreaking film. You know from the very beginning where it's going, and except for a twist towards the end, um, you know, it's perfectly average in what it's saying and what it is, you know, it doesn't take too many chances. But there is an undeniable just like watchability and genuine sweetness I found with the film, especially with the acting. I think both the lead actress and the boy especially is really, really good. They have really like genuine chemistry. I, it's, it's not, like I said, it's not the best of the year. It's not shocking with where it goes. You're going to know exactly what you're getting, but it's doing it in such a competent and such a like genuinely enjoyable fashion that I never found myself getting bored or angry at the film as if it's just going through the motions. There is genuine emotion and just, I overall found myself, even though I wasn't shocked by the film, really, really enjoying it. And it was just a bright spot of the week, in my opinion. Well, I'm glad you went to mention the word sweet, because <laughs> that was my first thought when, when, when this film finished was, I think I just got diabetes watching this. It was, it was not, <laughs> and well, it was sweet in, in all the wrong ways. It was, well, saccharine and schmaltzy, and, and, and I, it took me a while to figure out why that was, and I think I have an idea why that was. Um, it's just, it's, it's pains me to say this because I like British cinema and I like um, you know seeing sort of young new up-and-coming filmmakers coming through and pouring their hearts out for telling stories that they care about but I have absolutely I could not be able to say that I've seen any of that sort of expression in here this is okay well just put it in perspective, this is made by someone who's a debutante. Like this is some um, the person who made this. For for the love of God, I forgot what her name was. Um, but she's a theatre director who's just transitioning into cinema. But she's well, she's a playwright and she um, she directs um, plays on stage. And that's exactly what she knows. And that's how this film 
plays out. Like this is not film. Film. This is theatre on <laughs> on film, for lack of a better phrase. Um, and it's fine. There are great playwrights that made transition to the medium. Like, you, like what you can you can think about, like David Mamet, or even like Aaron Sorkin's probably a, probably one of the good names to kind of just think about. Or um, John Madden, I think, is another one who's also a British director. I think who's 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 been kind of just okay well he like there are people you can find your niche in in here but this needs a voice as in an original sort of melody that you have as a filmmaker as a storyteller to, to, that that your story would kind of convey somewhere and this has nothing of the sort this is basically a combination of schmaltzy cliches um sanitized to the nth degree it's a it's supposed to be a war a war film a war drama about you know world war ii and the strife of people sort of being on the home front and being sort of un, unwitting sort of um victims of, of of aggression happening elsewhere and there's nothing in there it's all saccharine it's all rosy petaled greenish tinted or it's 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 just bad filmmaking and just sugar-coated to to an absolute maximum that you can sometimes even barely see Gemma out it on under all this icing of catchy cliches and just beautiful little snippets of dialogue that probably just come look very well on a page and maybe will come across quite well on a on a stage in a different environment but in a film this just doesn't work that way because film operates not not so much with what people say but how they behave because you get to see people in close-up you get to see people from different angles at the same time and this uh, this thing just doesn't have that i'm sorry i'm sorry to to kind of look like i'm kind of you know like i'm the sort of harbinger of doom in here but it's just this film did nothing for me apart from making making me rethink my diet in a way because I think I just like too much sweetness is not good for you and then this thing just has an absolute overload of ham-fisted saccharine schmaltzy storytelling that should not actually make or make its way into one cohesive narrative because it's just not going to work the second episode running I think I'm going to be the odd one out here because I'm pleasantly surprised with uh, Summerland from IFC. Um, as a director debut of Jessica Swale, you said from a from a background of um, of, of playwriting, I, I thought it was quite impressive for this to be a debut film. Again, it, this is nothing to scream and shout about. This is not going to change the zeitgeist. It's not going to change anyone's world or anything like that. But for for a, a very a very quaint film throughout, it's quite an enriching, compelling moments within it. it I mean, it's a heartwarming British film with a poignant, reflective story. So I can understand why people would find this sickly and sweet because I think from its outset and beyond, it really does dive quite deep into that layer of ultra-sweet sensitivity where this is a film that's not going to ask any questions. It's not going to be entirely thought-provoking regarding its um, main theme, which I think it has options to do and, and, and doesn't to its own um, dismay. However, it, it's just a very quaint film throughout. It, it's so 
it's very passive, but it's not because it doesn't want to touch on its story because it doesn't want to offend anyone. I just think it, it has an idea of where it wants to go. And, and then there's a lot of stuff that intertwine that don't really add much, but get in the way of this central story between uh, the two characters that I'm going to go on talk about in a minute. There are issues I have with it. I don't like the, uh, I'm, well, I'm not, I want to say I don't like, I'm not overly keen on the non-linear flash forward at the beginning. And this is something we're seeing recurring all the time now. And it's just, it's something that just gets under my skin completely. And, and so in certain features, it works because there's, there's probably a lack of engagement value there. And, and it's, a, it's a, obviously a narrative technique to, to get you involved. But it's just, just something that, that makes my blood boil. I hated it in the first John Wick film. And as much as I don't hate it here, I just don't like it very much. And, and it's a sentiment that actually, in fact, it, it, it feels quite for, forceful to give Penelope Wilton a role. That character, who I'm not going to spoil because it's—I it, don't—it's not to spoil anything, but it's just—I'd rather someone going into this film cold. It just gives us something to do, and Penelope Wilton's an incredible um, actress in her own right, and here she's just given sort of this throwaway role of what is essentially three minutes of screen time, and then we go back into something into the heart and soul of the film, and 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 really, we we don't need the prologue, and we don't really need the epilogue because the film really suits just w w without those sort of bookends and and for an hour and 39 minutes it's not there to fill in the running time either it feels like an excessive narrative technique which here ultimately feels detrimental for me but the, the biggest issue i had going into this and it's not necessarily an issue but i was very very scared i'm not going to say scared it sounds like i was up at night but after watching vita and virginia and watching Gemma arterton's career I've been slightly optimistic about where she will go because as an actress, I think she's fairly talented. She's had all these breakthrough roles in, you know, in 2008, 2010, she, she was in Quantum of Solace, Prince of Persia. She was at a time that next Hollywood star that never sort of came true. And she's done quite a few pieces of um, independent cinema here and there, you know, their finest, um, like I said, Vita Virginia, there's, there's an ongoing thing here that Kieran Knightley has also done where I think they've, they, these two uh, actresses have become slightly less optimistic about what Hollywood presents them and they've found a niche that they like to do which is a period film and create empowering women and I think all power to them because they're making their own work rather than playing a damsel in, in distress their finest is, is very similar here I think it's probably the same production and I think it's also got similar actors who come in forth, uh, Tom Courtney and, and, and I believe Jim Artisan are in both. However, I might be wrong on that. But Vita Virginia left a, a, a severe sour taste in my mouth because Artisan is horrific in that film, but overall the film is terrible. So coming out of that and coming to this and to see something very sweet and sickly, I was slightly worried that we were going to go in the other way. But to be honest, she really impresses me here. She's got a very charismatic and touching, effective performance, although it does take a while for the audience to get on the same structure as that character is written throughout because she's quite cold as a, as a character here. She's not the most plentiful and enriching uh, in person, but even with very little depth um, given to her, the central relationship between her character and Lucas Bond's Frank, I felt to be sort of a growing really organic, authentic little uh, 
a, a duo, a little double act that eventually before long got me, got me on board. Um, I think the understanding of Atterton's character's position within this society, which is one issue I have that it only touches on, and I alluded that to my original point about uh, her sexuality and her position, again, like I said, throughout this very uptight, small uh, seaside town, is an interesting development that doesn't really go anywhere. It's not really touched upon. Um, it is just that emotional growth of her character and how it's written, where I, I, there's undoubtedly gets that all-important bond between character and audience. But I think I'm probably one of the few that was on board before that story act starts to really get there for others. And I think I think for you, Jacob, and maybe for Carson, we'll have to touch upon that in a minute. That might come a little bit too late, how cold Artisan's character is. That being said, I have a few more issues. I think uh, Gugu Mbata Raw's character gets a real raw deal here to showcase any character at all. There's so little depth or interest given to explore her arc, her small but integral theme within this film. And unfortunately so, because that actress was showcased in the last few years. There's incredible talent there. Um, overall, it just feels like a quintessential Rosie Goodwin novel, but with a welcoming LGBTQ twist of sorts. So to that, I'm glad they sort of subverted this narrative, if anything, this genre. But uh, touching on the twist, Carson... I'm so undecided whether it works or not because in one breath, I thought it was suitably shocking and within the context of the film, it definitely works. It's really interesting, but because the character of the twist comes in quite late and, and that character's so hollow and without that depth, that much needed depth, there isn't that emotional pull for me there and how it's executed within the film, the narrative, I thought was quite jarring. I didn't really know what was going on until on the nose, you actually see what the, the twist is. Very, 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 very sweet. Sometimes a little bit too sickly, but overall, I think Jessica Swale uh, uh, has pulled off a, a relatively decent directorial debut. I find it interesting a couple points that are being said here. First, that Jakob, you said that you were looking at this more as a war story, which I could see you being disappointed by that because really that is like, that is the environment and that's the catalyst to bring these two characters together. But at heart, this really isn't a story about war. It is a catalyst for these emotions, but at the end of the day, it's a love story. It's a story about um, growing to have this relationship with this young boy um, and like, you know, exploration of her love and her past love. But um, another thing I was, I'm a little shocked by is it, this is a film that, yes, genuinely is sweet. And especially towards the end, right? Like everything wraps up in a big, happy, nice bow. But a lot of the story throughout is not joyful. It's a lot of pain. There's that beautiful scene I really like hit me was when Alice had to come out to Frank um, and had to say, you know, her truth. And Frank accepts her and she, she just breaks down crying. And you can tell that she's very like, not into with the society around her, right? Everyone judges her, everyone like hates her. She clearly just like is not with other, like not on the same page as the other people in this town and clearly has faced so much judgment for who she is and so much nerve and built in emotion like deep within her of feeling that like people won't accept who she is. And she just breaks down crying when Frank accepts her for who she is. And there's little moments like that that just like tore me apart emotionally and really just like, it was like a gut punch of just this character 
character. I think that's one of the reasons the genuine like sweetness and more cliched plot and more cliched journey she goes on works so well for me is because they made this character who I legitimately felt bad for. And I legitimately bought into the fact that she has all these deeper emotions within her. And she legitimately has all these conflicts, both with the town around her, openly judging her for being a woman on her own, but also that inner fear of that they won't accept me for who I am. And that beautiful, like, I think this character, yes, cliched, is effective. And Jack mentions how it takes a character that could have been very cliched and adds stuff and adds certain elements that you don't normally see that kind of works around those cliches to make it feel like, like I mentioned before, the film is not just simply going through the motions. Um, and it was that emotional depth that really made me like, like the film. I might have come off a little bit more brutal in my opening statement, but this is a film I overall like enjoyed quite a bit. Um, and it, I just found it genuinely touching. But I see if you went in expecting this like crippling war drama, try and show like the horrors of war, right? And like everything and just how they have to survive. And you have the parents, you know, fighting in the war and, you know, you don't know if they're going to live or die. I could see you dis being disappointed in that element. But I think if you go in expecting not necessarily even just like a love story, but the story of like a queer individual, you know, who is struggling to fit in society. She feels very lonely. She has scars from her past and go in with more of that like drama sense. I think there is a lot of rewarding content within the film. I kind of feel like every time I come on the show, I have to like, and, and I talk about something, I'm asked to, to express my opinion about films. I have, I have to start with just vomiting my emotions and then carefully unpack what it means <laughs> so let's start with this uh, when you say well I, I don't really think I expected like it's not a question of like the dis dissonance between what I expected this film would be and then what it ended up being it's almost like I don't I didn't really expect this to be a you know like a gr gripping war drama with you know uh, I don't know that has a lot to say and then wants to upset you in, with its imagery I didn't really expect at best, I was expecting a prestige, um, sort of a well, a, a British incarnation of a Hollywood picture from the fifties. If you if you kind of know where I where I'm going with this, but this thing really does well. Does have one massive problem that kind of well it has more than one massive problem, but it has one massive problem where this this whole thing begins, which and it comes back to the age old rule of writing which is write what you know and what does jessica swale know she doesn't know much apart from theater because well, she, this is this this is what it kind of just comes across this is written this is such a written sort of story and it and it feels as though someone just sat down in a room locked themselves in a closet and thought i wonder what it would be like to live in London during the Blitz or in, I don't know, in Dover during the Blitz. I wonder what it would be like to have a child or what it would be like to be gay because she's not, she's neither of those things. She doesn't have any of these experiences. She has nothing to say that's meaningful about these things, either about having children or having a relationship of, with, you know, with another woman or about, I don't know, living through an atrocity. Like she, she clearly 
this, this is a writing experiment for her. She literally just sat down at her desk with a beautiful typewriter that she probably still has from her, from her mom or dad. And she just thought, I'm going to write this beautiful story and it's going to be romantic and schmaltzy. And it's also going to be absolutely fucking fake. And that's what it is. I'm sorry, pardon my French, but you know, I'm, I'm and I can, I can, I can honestly forgive like Gemma Atherton because she's okay. Well, <sighs> For lack of a better phrase, she's to me she's always perfectly forgettable because she's in so many things and then she just falls through the through the floor almost sometimes. You just people kind of forget that she's in many things. Like she's she she used to be a Bond girl, she used to be in this, that, and the other, and just people just don't really recognize and register that she's kind of there. But it's not really her fault that you know I don't like the film. She's actually, I, I think she's doing a commendable job with the material she's ha she has, and she's a she's a very good professional actress. She's a good performer in the sort of technical sense of the word. She can she knows how to work with characters, and she, but she has nothing to work with here. Like her character is a is a pile of cliches, just dreamt up by a thirty seven year old woman who just wishes to transition to cinema and she thinks she knows something about about love and about motherhood and then and and she clearly doesn't have too much of an experience with, with these things because all she the language the vocabulary she's using sort of describing these sort of profound emotions like a forbidden love like imagine being being in love with a woman in 1941 when it was illegal to be gay right like people went to prison when they were found in bed with an with a person of the same sex. Like this, this was not a joke. This this wasn't just a cultural taboo. This was an actual crime in Britain at the time. And you know, and and she has she. There's no expression of any ramifications of, of that sort. There's no expression of any sort of ramifications of being torn from your household as a child and putting it in a household of someone else because there is a tragedy going on in the world and you have no idea how to process this because you're a child. There's nothing in there of this. It's just a romantic, schmaltzy, saccharine, just pile of icing. And it's just all just smooshed into this sort of narrative that has absolutely zero to say. And I'm just like, the more I talk about this, the more I figure out, I'm, I think I'm just starting to hate this even more because it's no longer, the, I, I was thinking I'm going to kind of just use this sort of perfectly forgettable sort of thing about Gemma Hatterton and just think maybe in a week's time I'll forget about what this, what, what this film was because it's just perfectly posed to be this, just put on, put on, you know, like a, like a quiet night in with your spouse. Let's watch a, a, a an uplifting war drama about a woman and, and a child that kind of find together and develop a bond but there's really nothing to be to be mined in there at least not for me and I, I'm happy that some people <laughs> find something in there but for me this is just almost offensively bad it's just poorly researched and, and poorly I mean no, it's not poorly written it's technically very well written it's very well articulated but it's absolutely hollow as a film it just has zero to say and I'm really sad that is the case because it, I, all the actors and all the performers in there they, they are good on their own but this together just does not 
come together at all. It's just chocolate on chocolate with icing and more icing. And then even the fact that tragedies happen in, 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 in the story are just taken lightly because it's always sort of magically realistic universe where nothing really matters. There's nothing of value. There's nothing of, of gravity. Like, it's, it's bad storytelling at this absolute finest. I'm just going to push back slightly there, uh, Jacob, uh, with the fury that you just presented. I'm not sure where I'll I'll, I'll pinpoint my, my my points, but I will say I understand where you're coming from because there's themes here that are underwritten and avoided, and I think they could be really adapted for something really poignant here. I think the opportunity has definitely been missed to go and really explore hardcore themes that happened in this country that are not spoken about. All we have to look for in the last, you know, 100 years is Alan Turing in the Imitation Game. I think that's a great example of a film showcasing not only the, 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 the positives of society, but also the negatives where the fact that this government would not acknowledge his, um, well, ultimately saving this country from German domination during the war. But it also doesn't just explore his heroics. It also explores the negativity of, of, a, of a culture, of a society that condemned him because of his sexuality. Regardless of what you think about that film, with Summerland, it, I understand that there's, there's reasons there to, to really dig deep and explore those themes. I really do. And I think, granted, it's, a, it's most definitely a missed opportunity. But... This is, a, this is a film that isn't a World War II drama first and a, and a romance second. And I think that's what I, I went in with. Knowing like the stuff uh, that British television likes to divulge in regarding war dramas is that the war is ultimately a setting, a backdrop, and the narrative is character first. And I, I think this is a film that follows a very similar sentiment because ultimately... This is a story that focuses on Gemma Arterton's Alice before it focuses on Frank's father in the film. And to that, I, I understand your point because out of the two, there is two quite serious conversations or, or topics to have there that the film can explore because you're talking about people off to fight a war that, that, that was a war that, I mean... Without, without the Battle of Britain and numerous other cases that we could all be speaking German in, in Europe. And then you've got the other conversation there about society's reflection of even in the midst of, of world domination by, by a force that there's still issues of acceptance within that, that, that society. And I think those themes are incredibly interesting to behold. I mean, you look at it now where we, we, in the last 60 years we, we, about sexuality and, and, and you know specifically the trans movement is that we still have a society that's not ready to accept those people as people, even though we're in the midst of a pandemic. It's just, there's a very interesting uh, cultural, ex uh, there's a very interesting cultural expose to have there and to see that how manipulative and how contradictory culture is in general and society in general and people and i think it's the biggest missed opportunity here however even though i've, I've, I've said that and i still think the film is drastically underwritten on, uh, in certain terms this is a casual smaltzer very sickly drama that, that that's not there 
particularly to to change the world and, and to that extent i can't really blame it because it's 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 as safe as you can possibly get and i think on the bottom baseline it does its job it, it it does it it does what it needs to do and i think that's where carson is i'm probably a step above that and Jakob, you're quite clearly a few uh, few steps down from carson on on your your opinion on it it'll just be interesting where this could 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 have gone i mean it's not a film that screams an identity either it's not it's not a film where we speak sometimes in a hyperbolic instance, which might be quite rude. It's like, well, Bong Joon-ho could have done here, or Robert Rodriguez could have done it there, or Tarantino could have done a better version. This is a film that doesn't really have much of an identity in the wake of it could have been involved regarding its filmmaking. So at the end of the day, I'm left sort of just accepting of what it is. And I think I understand where you're coming from again, but do you not think that you're perhaps asking a little bit more of what's on hand here. Do you think that you went in here wanting more? Because I know you probably went in here cold. So it's surprising how you've, from, you've fallen out of favour because I think you used certain words that you began to hate the film. So I don't want to get your opinion on it again because I think you've, you've, you've probably, uh, to be worn out. But I think me and Carson, it's interesting where me and Carson have come from because ultimately it's not a film where I, I, I'm, 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 <laughs> I can imagine what's going to come next. So... Uh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just spitballing the inevitable here. If anyone's listening, because there's going to be a theory that comes next. But I will end on just saying that it'll be interesting where Jessica Swale goes next, because I think this is a good start for a directorial debut, and I think we need to take that into consideration. Last week we spoke about the rental with Dave Franco, and me and Ashley had a back and forth about it because he had issues with the horror implementation. Where for me. I enjoyed it as a directorial debut, and I think you need to have that reference just to sort of understand the bigger picture. But granted, you can have issues with the film in general, but I think there's certain aspects that I can annihilate Swale for because she's working at, from from a from a, a theatre background into to, to going into a, a narrative feature. So for me personally, I think of all the components Swale had, I think she's done a relatively good job here. Although I do think it's somewhat lacking in certain departments. I'll give credit where credit's due. Okay, well, she completed a film as a director and a writer. That means, okay, well, she's clearly done something right. She got, she, she got this gig. She wrote this gig. She directed this gig. And then it kind of just came together into a one, I don't know, thing that has a start, in the start middle, and the end. And then, okay, well, you, you, can, you can say things about, like, the framing device being a little bit written yet yeah, the whole thing is written the whole thing is basically just an exercise in in narrative storytelling that's all this all this is because when you think about when you ask me about well what what did i expect like it's not really you know it's not supposed to be groundbreaking well then you don't make a groundbreaking well you don't make a film about okay let me rephrase this because i just got excited again <laughs> Like you, if you want to tr try and have a nice and like it's not the 50s anymore where you, where you can just take these things lightly and say ah don't worry like it's a melodrama no one gives a shit like no it's 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 2020 the the world has moved on since then we've had well, decades of development as as a human species where we've progressed through not one not two not three but probably four and more horrible disasters and and crises and whatnot and you just don't there's certain things you just don't do if you if you want to say oh, i want to tell a nice cuddly story 
that's just inoffensive and and just and feel good you don't you you, you just you tell a story about something you know but no, this this means to me oh i want to know this this is literally looks like something that's designed by a netflix ai where some where someone says oh war dramas as settings work well gay thing is is in these days so we totally need to cash in on this portrait of a lady on fire thing and also oh well kids are great so we need to put one in there and then she just made a script out of all this and it's just like a mess because it nothing's genuine nothing's honest in here it's just a pile of things that are just well i think you've all kind of you've both kind of just alluded to this in many ways that well she doesn't explore anything because she doesn't know how to explore these things these things are alien to her she's she's a middle-class londoner who's not who's who's not even gay as well so, so what, what can she know about this like it's there is a reason why there's this rule about writing what you know and do and and telling stories that are personal to you because it translates to the audience otherwise it's worth absolutely nothing and then I, 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 it's not like I, well, I, I expected a lot. I, I came in as, 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 as you said, I, I went into this almost completely cold. The only thing I knew was um, Gemma Atterton was in there, and I was, and I was honestly trying to remember what was the last thing I saw her in. Um, but it, it feels like an, like something written by an 18th or 19th, a 19th century sort of novelist who, well, and. And it's no longer okay to be a 19th century novelist. Like it was fine when you were, you know, like locked in a castle somewhere in the middle of nowhere in countryside in Yorkshire somewhere. And you just imagined shit and just say, ah, it would be great if I could just be a princess one day. And then just, you just write a book about being a princess. And then she will find a prince and go on an adventure and then into these imaginary worlds. Like this, like the world's progressed since then. Like people want, to read and think and, and experience your experiences or your world through your arts. Like this is no longer like that anymore. Like you can't just do these things and expect to get away with it because I kind of feel like this is almost a cynically made sort of attempt at, ah, I wanna, do you know what? I wanna be one of the, one of the people on the end. So I, I want to write something that's meaningful, but honest to God, I have nothing meaningful to say because all I've been doing was adapting plays to stage. And and it's not even and she doesn't even have any anyone to blame because she wrote the whole thing herself. It's not like you, well sometimes you can go and say well you know the books like that so it's, you have the source material so you have the material to work with so you know you, you can only do so much. But this is something that she actively <laughs> consciously sat down and conjured out of whole cloth out of you know her own imagination basically just was was used in in full in there there's no source material to fall back on that she that she could always go and blame or that she oh she was working with someone else's script no it's all stories hers directions hers and then i i feel like i'm i'm attacking this poor person who's trying to make a debut but you know there, there are just things you don't do, and this is one of them, because I can I can understand like something like the beach house being an absolute pile of dog shit, because well, but but that's what it is. It's a genre film, and then I think I don't think whoever made it 
had any aspirations that this is going to be the next big thing in cinema. And I honestly think Jessica Swale was thinking that she's this this is absolutely amazing and she's changing the world by by making this movie because she's taking a stance about being gay in the forties and taking a stance about you know motherhood and 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 everything else that she just glances. And, and and just touches upon very briefly in this film because honestly if she had to actually just touch a bit deeper just scratch beneath the surface she would actually find out that she has absolutely nothing to say about any of these things but i think like the attention wasn't to find some brand new like emotional catharsis like big statement about motherhood or being gay in this time like yes it's nothing revolutionary but at the same time unlike the beach house which i think has lines that clearly is meant to have this deep philosophical like this is an important message this movie doesn't attempt to like cloud itself as like oh this is a groundbreaking film you know this is the true queer experience of the time this is not meant to be like this huge film that is revolutionizing the genre or anything like that it is trying to be just like a very cliched yet sweet film and i think when you look at it in that lens, at least for me, I, I, you know, I have come to the realization that you probably don't agree with the statement, but I think that it works perfectly well. Um, so I think it is a little unfair to look at this film and say, oh, what she's saying isn't anything new or isn't like something groundbreaking about these subjects, because it's also just not trying to be, and I think it's very aware of that, and open about that. But why is she doing it then? So what, what the, it, the reasons we do things is all that matters sometimes right like you don't have to like i i I don't think i ever wanted it to be a groundbreaking you know thing about you know being gay or being whatever Uh, all all this all this needs to be is honest and then and if you set out to make a a piece of art because let's okay well it's it's a collaborative art but it's still a piece of art if you set out say saying i don't want to have anything meaningful to say all i want to do is just have a good time and then just make it in the business like this this is this is morally bankrupt to me like this is not good like this is not like great films are made for great reasons and if you don't have a great reason to make one you're not going to make a great film and this isn't and this isn't a great film as a result of that the, the issue with this film is that it could showcase that sentimentality it's that nothing has much changed it's it's still an issue within society where people have an issue with a person's gender or sexuality so for me i think it misses a, a, another opportunity second of all this might be more appropriate to be a bbc drama which is no detriment against Jessica Swale or Arterton. But I think for an hour and 39 minutes, I think it cooks up a little bit more than it needs. I think if this was a three-part BBC miniseries, I think then you would have the extra depth. But my other point is that I've sort of, we're speaking about how it doesn't touch upon certain things it should do. I am slightly um, surprised that the film doesn't actually took on Mumbata Raw's character as, as her as the main lead, because that, uh, that character has so much more, be, being a, um, a person of colour in England and a person who is gay, there's so much layers there in story to, 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 to have rather than, as you said, a, a rather posh Londoner living on the, the seaside coast who writes for a living, yet we don't see how she can afford that massive income. So it's just questionable. Whereas if if the, the the roles were reversed and we 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 followed the person of color in that instinct, then the society and 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 the surrounding town animosity to her intensifies and elevates to a different meaning, becomes far more profound and far more 
um, engaging because it's it's a tragedy. And then not only do we find out that that person of colour is is being trapped within that society to be who she wants to be, it is slightly confusing why that character wasn't the central pulling point because ultimately raw still has a massive star appeal and Arterton is probably on the same level so it's slightly confusing why they would go that level because ultimately the, the finished film Arterton's character is nothing really new I mean it's it's not at all groundbreaking so to to to, to just to respond to to both of you I think and this might be on Jakob's side more than your side, Kassen, but the, the film has that ability to, to touch on those subjects and just move a few pieces around. And with that, you probably get a far more compelling film. Do you know why? <laughs> Do you know why I think uh, the, um, the other person wasn't the, cent- the focal point of, of the story, even though it would, you could argue that she's probably the more complex character, exactly because she's a person of color. That's that's pretty much why. And then I don't want to I don't want to put a cynical spin on this and then think that oh this is because Jessica Swale is not a person of color and she could not possibly even identify with her because she clearly identified with the character of Gemma Artitans. And I, I think she's I I don't I don't think she's that cynical and she probably isn't she she probably is very well meaning she's just a little bit misguided in this. And then this could also be a producer's decision as well to say, well, you need a person of color in there because we need to target certain demographics, but you kind of you need to make it a token character in the background that just shows up every now and again. And then, you know, and on some level, it kind of looks like this. This also has been polished and sort of shaped by groupthink as well when you think about how this film's executed and and how well certain decisions it 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 takes um but ultimately what what the straw that broke the camel's back for me and this may actually be funny to some or pathetic to others is there's an utter disrespect to add attention to detail when it comes to certain things and and it doesn't take a lot of effort to make to make certain things look realistic or look I don't know, believable. But it testifies to my the entire thesis of my now, I don't know, multiple rants that I've been that I've engaged in here. But that this the film has been conjured not out of honest need to tell a compelling story that comes from the soul, that comes from the bleeding heart of an artist, but from a sort of more of a cynical attempt to just start a career. It is it, it in this little nuance that you see every now and again in when um, the characters are looking at photographs and they all they don't look like photographs taken by someone in the 1940s because people in the 1940s didn't 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 take photographs like 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 these people they would just stand straight because you know you 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 get out to to have your pictures taken and you pay money to have to photographer and then you have to stay stay still for a few seconds and they'll say smile don't move there's the you know, there's the flash goes go, goes off, and it's all a bit weird. And whereas all all these photographs that you know, the the boy's mom is on, and the dad, and all these sort of memories are kind of conveyed through the photographs, are basically selfies taken off of Instagram with a monochrome filter appended to it. That can, that's the attention to detail that's been that's been given to 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 these to these little nuances that just didn't take much to actually add to 
the honest realism of this film and just begins and ends almost with this. I could even I could pin my entire tirade on 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 a, on a bunch of selfies in in there. No one took selfies in the in the thirties and forties. No, no one took this massive camera put in front of themselves and themselves and, and with a wide angle lens so that you could see the background a little bit blurry in there and just said cheese like no one did that no this this never happened this is something that's just transplanted from modern day because no one actually gave a shit about thinking uh, you know, an inch deeper about any aspect of, of of this story i will say this probably is not going to be the most popular popular take I've ever given. But I think it is interesting how both of you mentioned how the film either fails or struggles, depending on what, you know, how far you want to go, with relaying the queer experience at the time with the stakes and the consequences that were there. But I think it's a little bit of a double standard to say that about this film, but not others that we really love and respect, like Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Call Me By Your Name. Because really, when you break it down, those are films that have this queer experience, but none of the conflict is because the characters are queer and in this gay relationship, right? Portrait of actually both films, now that I'm thinking about it, it's a, more about just a relationship that happens to be queer that goes through stress because both are at, for other circumstances at a very limited amount of time, Call Me By Your Name's over one summer, and then Oliver goes back to America. Portrait of a Lady on Fire is only over the course of a week because she's getting married and she's just painting her. Neither of those films make this big grand statement about like, oh, society and queer people at the time and the consequences there. Yeah, I'd never heard like this conversation around like, oh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, oh, none of the characters judge them for being in this gay relationship, Call Me By Your Name. Yes, those have like, especially in Call Me By Your Name, which, I mean, to be clear, both of these are two of my favorite films in recent memory, if not of all time. But like Call Me By Your Name, right? The characters have that moment where they're feeling self-conscious about their sexuality and how others could judge them, very similar to in this film. But I think that all three of these films, yes, they are queer, but they don't claim to be making these big stances about like society being against the LGBTQ plus community of the time. So I think to look at a film like this, and I think it's a valid point for all three films that they don't do enough in that you know space and in that way but i think it's a bit of a double standard to hold this film to a different level of judgment in that area when i think its goal with the relationship and goal of the queer you know experience that it's trying to portray is very similar to portrait of a lady on fire or call me by your name oh carson carson you made a you made my point for me <laughs> because I, I i agree neither of these films strive to say something meaningful about society or of the time or of, of the era but they're coming from an honest place look at guadagnino is gay um celine siama is gay they know what they instinctively know what they want to say and this is personal to them whether it's it's making a sweeping statement about society or about history irrelevant what's relevant is that it it's the soul of the film is, is 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 honest and this one isn't this one is made up it's phony and it just shines through at every opportunity because it's it, it just it, well, it, i don't want to say it's soulless but it's corrupt let's move next to alice winnicker's proxima oui, exactement, ou plutôt pour qu'il n'y ait pas de problème à l'atterrissage. Hein? 
Oui. Tu vois, elle est sortie en premier. C'est elle qui est sortie en premier <rire> Elle était des autres à remonter. Sarah is a French astronaut and lives alone with Stella, her seven-year-old daughter. When Sarah is chosen to join the crew of a year-long space mission called Proxima, it creates chaos in the mother-daughter relationship. Jakob, let's start with you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, uh, it, it, it may be actually weird for me to say, having just said so many really strange things about uh, Summerland, but um, I actually quite like this film. It, it's not a perfect it's not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination, but it is captivating enough. And it is, um, for lack of a better word, um, subdued enough to kind of just leverage its, its strengths and hide its weaknesses in a way, because it, it, tries, to, it tries to grapple with quite a lot of thematic content, which is, let's, let's just say it's not easy to grapple. Um, and it is doing it using a narrative that's almost exclusively character driven as opposed to plot driven because there isn't well if you if you really think about it there isn't much of a story in this and then and because it's it, well you could summarize it in one sentence it's a story about just a, a woman who wants to fulfill her childhood dream of becoming an astronaut at any means possible and it, and and that's it. Like you could, th this is this is how the film's summarized and from beginning to end. And it's not in a, in a, and it's kind of just settled in this what I like to call like a sci-fi adjacent sort of scenario because it, it it isn't really about being an astronaut. It isn't really about I don't know space exploration or anything like that. It's just a setting um, for a character to be explored and for motivations to do certain things, especially in this day and age, to be explored in detail. Like, um, so, so to, to put it in context, Eva Green is an engineer who works at the um, European Space Agency. Um, and she has a small child and then, and then it's quickly revealed that her main motivation to do what she is doing when, when, she's, uh, when she is invited to uh, participate in the sort of one year long stint at a um, International Space Station, um, she, it is revealed that her motivation was because her mom, when she was very young, told her that, well, this is not a job for girls. So almost despite her, she tries to prove that girls are good enough to do certain, certain things. And that's pretty much the thesis of the film, is basically trying to see the paradox, not, not even paradox, but how unfair the world is to certain to, to women these days because you're based on the expectations placed upon them by society because you know like you you'd like them or they would they would love to 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 achieve as much as men or more while at the same time trying to grapple with the idea that you know, it, there is a price associated with it and it comes 
in the form of sacrificing your relationship with your children, which is something that historically men have been much better at doing. If you think about, you know, the absentee dad is, is a stereotype for a reason. So she's trying to find her space in this. I mean, I, I can I can touch upon this later on, so I'll, I'll let you guys speak. But I will just say before before I um before before I shut up for a second, um, that it just happened. Even though if if even though it has its own sort of problems and has, it um I want to say wants to have its cake and its cake and eat it too sort of approach. Um, it works on 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 quite a few levels and also aided by the sort of added realism of the fact that it's just happened to be um, shot on app authentic locations like in Kazakhstan and Russia and in, in in Germany, which just happens to give it this sort of cinema verite sort of um, flavor, for lack of a better word. This movie in a lot of ways feels just like a competent, both filmmaking and emotional wise, like just a competent Lucy in the sky, as in it's a drama focusing on astronauts on the ground at home and what it actually means to them to go up into space, not just in the fact of, oh, I'm excited to go up to space, but what it means for their relationships back down on Earth. And even though those two films are different in what like the specifics are saying, I think this has a captivating relationship between uh, the main character, Eva Green, and the daughter, um, and just overall, I think it definitely is slow. I think that's the biggest issue I had, especially towards the middle act, is that it is a film that feels like it takes its time to really get going and it says what it's trying to say and then it just kind of, you know, just kind of goes at its own slow little pace, kind of more meditative at times. And I think at times that can feel a little bit dull and boring. But I think overall the relationships that the mother had was captivating enough to where I was engaged in the, in, in the conversation. Um, I guess another like film it reminded me a bit of is The Truth. And I think it works much better than The Truth in the fact that this is a relationship that focuses like, yes, she has this job that normally would be the focus. In The Truth, it's she's this famous actress. In this film, she is, um, she is an astronaut, right? These are two things that really should, like in normal movies, they would be the focus. But this focuses on their relationships at home. And I just think it does it in such a much more engaging and captivating way than The Truth or Lucy in the Sky. Um, I don't think it's a perfect film. Like I said, I do think it is generally slow. Um, but overall, it, it kept my interest. And I do think it is, I mean, I would say probably, in my opinion, a similar level or maybe just above Summerland, but we don't need to get back into that film. I'm on the same wavelength with you, Carson, to be honest. I think it's a very, very, very strong film. With, 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 it has issues, which I'll, I'll touch upon. But for the most part, I think it's very strong. I, I love the comparison towards uh, Lucy in the Sky because I hated that film. I really was looking forward to seeing something like that. The, the description of it, uh, the execution of it was just absolutely terrible. Um, so here, I was slightly optimistic, but this is this is most uh, most interesting from uh, Alice Winokur uh, on a sophomore effort, no doubt. Uh, this is definitely how you look at thematic way and existential crisis in a really, uh, um, I'd say, soft but poignant, compelling uh, matter i think it's an interesting and engaging character study of a, of a woman in a male-dominated workplace it's interesting how it subverts expectation of it being this workplace in an office space or or, or, or the quintessential assistant um to, to a boss who's a, a misogynist pig i think it does an interesting element to sort of subject this to a job that's incredibly interesting to behold which is an astronaut which i i find 
really interesting at the same time and yet sorry i find it really interesting yet at the same time i think it's a very strange um uh character study on that that profession but nonetheless i think it works um the juggling of career and motherhood is an interesting element as well one that is probably the main focus of it which again i i'm going to go on a little bit about the characters but um specifically in the working environment to that extent i think it's undeniably elevated by this astronaut issue the motherhood thing i think can come out anywhere and i think it's executed fairly well um but how it meshes with the astronaut thing is even more so interesting because ultimately you could have had a film where eva green works for a company or an oil company or something like that i don't know and she has to go off for a year and and she's going to miss miss her daughter but the idea of that she's not on the same planet obviously elevates that to a degree which becomes even more heartbreaking where there's no face time there's no contact um well if there is it's very limited so it's interesting they went that angle it'll be debatable for quite a few people whether it's a it needed a grounded approach although on final viewing of the film overall it it really does work also it's an element to like like Jakob said to really get deep into these real um uh, environments and settings of 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 getting access to Cologne and, and Kazakhstan. I, I think is a really interesting um, element to the film. But I'll, I'll move on to one of my first issues that Winnicott uh, is primarily a writer and her credits with Mustang, which gathered gathered a quite um, critical success. Um, I've always been quite strong to her name, and it's an attribute of a film here that feels the weakest. Because throughout, the film excels in its softness and its visual storytelling. It's not a film that has to verbally uh, convey what it means, but it's that silence, it's that tenderness through, through non-dialogue where it, it substantiates its, its thematic way. It's only really when the screenplay starts to open up and overly discuss its themes in a far too on-the-nose degree where it slightly becomes... An issue for me, I think one scene is where Eva Green has this, towards the end of the film, not going to spoil, but she has this sort of, I wouldn't call it a second opinion or anything, but her character uh, has this moment of, 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 uh, of what feels like an absolute ridiculous decision to, to, to I can't spoil this because it's such a really good scene, but she makes a decision where you, as an audience member, thinking, oh, wow, she's gone against, what the film is, is trying is, is going for or the, the narrative for that matter but it's not explained in the moment through all this on the nose dialogue of oh she's doing this she's doing that she's taking this she's taking that she's 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 traveling here she's staying put nothing like that it's a very fast-paced visual element where it creates somewhat of a tense ten, tense atmosphere but it's it has this finality of a really tender scene and it wouldn't have worked if that you have this dialogue of her explaining where she's going to go, what she's going to do. And then that reveal is heightened to a degree where it feels even more delicate because we're between these two characters. So the, the fact that often than not, it does this visual storytelling for me, it, granted it's probably its most, well, it's probably its best attribute. That being said, it's undoubtedly Eva Green that makes that what it is because with, with, a, with an actress or with an actor um, in mind here, 
and we're going to talk about this in the next film, which I have is a similar a decision made by Sally Potter. Well, and I'll get onto that in a minute. But what Winnicott does here, most impressively, casts a really strong actress to convey that. And Eva Green is per it's incredibly strong here. I think she encapsulates the thematic weight wonderfully and personifies personifies sorry such a great engaging degree. I think a, a character which is engulfed in this indecision and the tormenting central relationship of a historical mission against uh, the care of her daughter and putting her with, with, with I believe what is her father, which they don't really have a, a, a strong bond. It's executed to a manner that's absolutely heartbreaking because you can see that even though Eva Green's character undoubtedly wants to be this figurehead and be the strong, empowering woman for her daughter. She also needs to be there for her. And it's this really strange dynamic where it, throughout the film, it's, it's mutually exclusive. And I, that's such an element that, that fascinates me because ultimately these two would go hand in hand. But in this case, they have to separate, they have to run parallel. And that idea and identity and ideology of what Eva Green has to choose, her character, should I say, is an incredibly fascinating notion to behold. But another issue I slightly have is that it's undoubtedly a French film. And I, that, that's really strange to say that. And I don't want to sound like I'm obtuse or, or, or naive, but it's a film where, and I think this is such a bizarre thing. I'm not going to go on a tan tantrum or anything like that, but it's an interesting thing that Mr. Bean's holiday had where when he's in Cannes and we're watching that Willem Dafoe film, it's this existential crisis of narrative over, over what feels like these montages. And ultimately, for the most part, I think the film avoids that, but there is that inclination of, we have this really tense, thought-provoking circumstance, and then all, all of a sudden we have Eva Green in a shower, um, semi-naked and, and nude, with the narrative, uh, sorry, narration over it about her uh, thoughts and feelings, which I felt was slightly unneeded. And it's that recurring issue of European cinema where it, it, it wants the audience to to have this thought, thought process, but also it wants to spoon feed them. And I was just slightly, I didn't find it jarring, but I, I, it was undoubtedly um, unneeded. And that's where the issue with the Matt Dillon character comes in for me, because he's such an, an the quintessential heavy-handed American. No offense to American viewers out there, but if you were thinking about the quintessential misogynist pig, here it's played by Matt Dillon. And the character for me was here purely to showcase that, that brute misogynistic force rather than sort of write a character because granted, the character has depth. He has an arc, but often than not, it's his character is a placeholder against Green's Alice. With the film never overly clear on his intentions in, in one, one sequence he belittles uh, Green's character. And, and then, then the, the film gives the impression that he's a pig, a misogynist pig for that matter, not just a pig. Mm. Yet in another scene, it sort of there's an inclination of him pushing Green's character to be the best that she can be. Uh, and then there's another turn where there's somewhat of a romantic interest there, which I'm not going to spoil, but there's definitely sexual tension, hypersexual tension, which again is probably a theme that, Winnicott wants to address by this, uh, this um, woman in a, in a male-dominated workplace, and I think it's an interesting one, but I think that's, that's the most lacking element to the film. That all, all being said, I think it's wonderfully shot by the cinematographer, and, and in a very rare case, and I'm not going to try to get extremely film bro on anyone here, but I'm often than not left quite 
dumbfounded when a film will go into an aspect ratio of 185.1 and not have it in a claustrophobic environment. Here, it is utilized, but it and, and it really elevates the material, not in a claustrophobic manner, but in a very endearing and intimate form. There's a sequence on a on a bus towards the end, which I thought was really touching. There's like this um, connective tissue to a scene in, in First Man, uh, which Gosling's character and, and, and Claire Foy, and here it's uh, uh, Eva Green's Alice and, and her daughter. And I, I think there's, uh, it, it sort of works more so here, dare I say, because of the aspect ratio. You, I don't think, like I said, you're not claustrophobic, it's not claustrophobic, but you're undoubtedly squeezed into this environment, which we're regarding the Matt Dillon character. It becomes semi um, uncomfortable, but it undoubtedly throws you into that thrust. But for a sophomore effort from Alice Winokur, I think this is a really good piece of cinema. It's just like Jakob said, it's just a shame that this wasn't being able to see, or being able to be seen on, on the cinema screen because there's some really flush colours here. Like I said, the cinematography looks incredibly good. The digitalization of, 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 of the of the film looks beautiful to behold. I mean, I have a feeling that we well, okay. Well, our problems with the film are kind of almost falling in, in into the same sort of basket of things because I well this is something that I alluded to in my opening statement the sort of the cake and eat the having cake and eat it to uh, approach is kind of what kind of brings the narrative thematically down a notch to me because it's well it's sort of designed to have well it looks like it's a schmaltzy sort of resolution um, to the central problem of the film is the central conflict of the character but then like this is this is kind of how I almost subliminally kind of know that I'm watching something worth watching where as it happens and immediately as it, uh, after it ha it's happened I keep coming back to it and rethinking my opinions on this and thinking about angles of, on how certain things are sort of portrayed and resolved and then in it and the more I think about it the more convinced I become um, that I well this is the proxima isn't well it's nothing to scoff at. It's actually well. I know it. Well, it's a quintessentially French film, but it, in that sort of in those parameters, it's quite a good one. And it kind of comes back to certain um, things that you've touched upon as well. And you say, well, well, she, well, Alice uh, Winokur is a writer, and predominantly in this, well, there is not much story in here as well. But there is there, the story is in well in well in between lines of dialogue. And when you think about uh like there's such nuances that always kind of get me going say when when you want when when the filmmaker wants us to think that okay well the Eva Green's character and her daughter are, f are sort of floating apart a little bit because she's kind of stuck in this little facility just pre prepping for her mission and her daughter is back in Germany with her uh, father with whom Evergreen is separated and, and then well it's probably worth notice, noting that you know like the two speak two different languages she speaks French and then her ex-husband speaks German and so naturally the child is bilingual at least um, and then when they speak on the phone um, her daughter refuses to speak French to her because it's just her her natural sort of response to spite her mother for not being there as though to say you're not with me now. Um, I'm with dad now. Like that's 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 what that that that's that's a that's a very clever way of saying a very complex 
things without actually saying them. That's conveying these extremely complex emotions and letting you unpack them as you walk out of the cinema, which, well, you won't because it's, it's on VOD. But, um, but there are, it's, it's many, many more of these things. You've alluded to um, like Matt Dillon being a sexist pig and, and he, well, he comes out straight out with, with, with this characterization in the first scene he's in. I don't want to say he's quintessentially American. I think he's portrayed to kind of be a little bit of a stereotype, but um, um, what he says is something like, oh, well, we're getting a female astronaut and so uh, she's also French, so she's going to cook for us or something like this, which is just like it's just bad but then it this is only a beginning like this is a beginning of a, a very complex dynamic between Ava Green's character and these men because they're all men in that she tries to well she well initially she doesn't try to um find her space in in among well in, in this group of people in this group of men She's trying to pretend she's one. She's 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 a guy. She's trying to kid herself into thinking she's as strong as all the other men around her. That she can, you know, like the, that she can do certain things as quickly and as uh, and, and as efficient as uh, as they do. And of course, she she succeeds, but barely and at a, at a great cost to her mental health as well. And then, um, but but she's trying to buy in buy their trust in a way as as though we're like and you feel like you're watching a pack of wolves trying to kind of just think if this new sort of animal on the block is going to be accepted into the pack or not and then there are quite a, there are a few scenes where um she's being tested this way and that kind of well, one in the forest when matt dylan sprains an ankle and then they had to call for help and then she says well well she just pretends that nothing happened because otherwise the, the whole training exercise would be scrapped and this is kind of one of those things that the, the, these guys basically just explain exchange looks and say and as though to say she's one of us now but then the filmmaker kind of unwinds these things later on and uh, as though to say well this is not the way to go and then there's there's a hundred and or, or, or of such little nuances in there and you've alluded to this with the sort of first men sort of reference as well and which only serves for me to kind of think that well I'm actually watching something really good in here um, <laughs> because it kind of alludes to um, what Carson said in the beginning sort of uh, by comparing this thing to uh, the truth which I think is a very apt comparison uh, however it, it is nuanced because as you think about the dynamic between men and women in the workplace especially in a macho sort of male-oriented workplace as any sort of stem or engineering sort of field event or just kind of almost sadly naturally is <laughs> it you just start to see how these things like the, it, it, be, it slowly starts to unravel the sort of idea of um well, the progressive idea of trying to convince women that they need to uh, pretend they're men, whereas I think this is what this is where the cake and eat it sort of uh, situation comes into play. Well, they kind of have to hope that they can, and the sad thing is that mostly it's not possible for most people. There is a sacrifice to be made, and then it's I think it's up to the viewer to 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 figure out whether a sacrifice is made 
at the end of the film or not. I think this is a conversation, if we were to talk, to talk with spoilers in here, this is a separate conversation we could get into. Um, but um, this, this, is, this is probably one of the sort of detractors in here because it, uh, the film alludes that the, the sacrifice may be, well, you could, you could convince yourself that a, a sacrifice does not have to be made in here. And, um, um, and it's a bit of a shame in a way because, well, and it doesn't really un, undercut any, any of the sort of previous nuances because the overwhelming body of evidence that I have sort of in my mind accrued about all these sort of characters sort of traits and the, the sort of thematic conversation that's kind of happened before that is too big. It's too massive to be sort of underdone by, by an ending that maybe is a little bit on the unsatisfying sort of side. But overall, I'm, I'm more than happy to have seen it, and I'm more than happy to, to buy it and watch it again, uh, when it becomes available. This might just be me being incredibly cynical, and I don't know why I think this, and I'm not really sure the film entails this, but I think it might just be my cynical headspace. I know the castle wants to touch on something else, so I please don't feel like I'm cutting you off here, castle. But I just wanted to throw out. Is it just me, or did anyone else think that the spaceship was going to blow up at the end? I just thought that at the end, when the ship it's goes just up, you. <laughs> I just thought when the ship goes up at the end, and 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 we see Stella watching it, and you have that profound moment where I think, even though she she's only so young and she's such a tender age, I think she acknowledges the fact. I think the film sort of personifies this as well in the sequence I'm talking about, but. I think you, you as an audience look, look at that scene and I think you understand from her point of view that she knows that I'm, I'm, what her mom's done. It's a really big moment. And I think that's also heightened by what happens before, which I alluded to about that sequence with, with no real uh, dialogue. But I was just left thinking that there was, there's going to be a, not necessarily a twist in the tale, but there was going to be this profound moment of all this build up leading to a moment and it would have been taken away from the audience. And I'm glad that, that Alice, Alice Winokur didn't do that. And I'm glad that um, no one is as <laughs> cynical as me over there, but I was just left in that moment, left quite profound in the fact that Eva Green's character, Alice, just about maintained the relationship of both ideals at what she wanted to do. Excuse me. But I was just left watching that screen all the way, just knowing, just hoping that, that, that everything would be all right. And to that regard, I felt that the film should have cut there. Not, not, not as in it's going to be, oh, what happens next? I think the film leaves you knowing that everything's okay, don't get me wrong. And, but it, it cuts off left in this really profound, heartbreaking moment. But there's a slight tack on scene with Stella at the end. And to me, it just felt so conventional and cliche that it felt somewhat unneeded. It was like excessive. Did anyone else feel that? Or is it just me being cynical? I didn't feel that, but I felt with the ending specifically, I felt like it wrapped up a little too perfectly because a lot of the nuance in this conversation throughout the film is the sacrifices that need to be made for making development and pushing down walls. Uh, it was mentioned before the relationship between Eva Green and her daughter. It gets very, um, they get separated to a point, right? Because she's out there trying to do these things to not just help herself break down barriers, but also for her daughter and the women of the future. And she has to sacrifice in a way her relationship with the daughter. 
Um, and I think that was a really interesting, like the film doesn't judge her for that, right? You have those scenes where she won't talk to her mother. She says, oh, she's with my dad now, right? But like the film doesn't judge that as, oh, she's being a bad mother and neglecting her daughter. It's just saying that is one of the natural consequences because she's out there trying to help get create a better future and do this thing that she's wanted to do, you know, in this misogynistic environment. Um, and I felt like the film at the ending really could have had this poetic moment where maybe the daughter doesn't recognize, you know, oh, this big thing and it holds some resentment against the mother or something deeper just to show like, oh, a consequence was like really like there and it's just one of the facts and sometimes it's hard and sometimes those things happen. Instead, it feels like it tries to say, oh, there's consequences. Oh, there's this split now between the mother and daughter, but it ended okay. So that's okay. It's not really, you know, the consequence got avoided for the most part. Um, so I, that was at least my opinion on like, if I would change something about the ending, I think it could have a more haunting ending, not necessarily with the spaceship blowing up. I'm happy they didn't do that. But I think they could have done something to add just one last big, you know, moment of emotion at the end. Um, but overall, that nuance is something that I really appreciate throughout the film. And I think it's what brings this film from just being like this kind of casual meditation on misogyny to being that next level of filmmaking and emotional impact. It's not so much the meditation on misogyny, uh, although it's definitely there. It's a, almost a byproduct of, of of what the film's trying to say. It's it's a meditation on uh, womanhood, right? And the sort of paradoxes of womanhood and well, paradoxical ex expectations of womanhood. And I, I I totally agree with you that you know the the ending is where you know where I have my problems with, and I have I have a feeling that you know like a haunting, as you say, a haunting small scene of a hug a goodbye would be probably more than enough because then but then it would it would actually leave the viewer with quite a lot more legwork to do as well and this this is where i kind of have this problem with this having cake and eat it because you you kind of well i i see i think i see where the filmmaker is coming from with this ending because she wants a message to be uh, conveyed a, cer a certain message need to, needs to be conveyed in here and then if you left it like this you'd have to leave this for the viewer to figure out that what breaking down barriers does not happen with a snap of a finger it's kind of almost i, I, kind of, I like to see it as a like a decaying wave sort of situation you push one end and then the third wall of third law of dynamics causes the uh, equal and opposite reaction and just kind of goes like this until it kind of reaches sort of equilibrium of some sort right but this is kind of where we're at the very beginning as in eva green's actions are sort of caused by her mother's well her mother's disapproval of trying to be equal to men so she almost pushes it too far the other direction and then the film would the film would probably just leave it there and say, well, the mum has chosen to make a sacrifice for humankind, and and then be forever remembered as one of these few female astronauts, because there there is a scene in there where they had this little host woman who just had kind of just name drop all the all, all the female astronauts because there isn't that many, right? Uh, and then with that ending, I think in place. Although I think it would be much, much better and much more thought-provoking, it would risk that the audience that this film is predominantly, I think, addressed to, might not get it on the first go, um, because it kind of requires this sort of extra level of level of pushback, and not everyone may be willing or equipped to do so. And then, um, and and in certain sort of, it, it may just come across as this is a punishing 
exploration and what am I supposed to feel about this? It's just sad and, and miserable and I and I just don't know what to feel about this film. Whereas it's supposed to be uplifting in a way. And this uplifting moment you'd have to you kind of you'd have to dig for in, in, in a different ending. So I kinda almost like where that it kind of cuts off to Stella at, at the end because it's then up to you to read to, to figure out what what what's going on and um yeah it, it is i don't want to say it's messy because the, the ending's messy but the the more i think about it and the more i try to articulate my thoughts it, the the more in awe I, be, I am of of this whole endeavor because it, it is a difficult job trying to put so much thematic thematic complexity into a narrative this sparse and actually make a viewer pull back and sit down and think about how the world's operating and then why it's just kind of geared against exactly half of its population. You know, one of the reasons why I really like doing this podcast is when we have a discussion about film, if, if it be on the uh, shit show that is Twitter or on the absolute diamond that a Clippercast is, that there's also finding someone else's opinion on a matter. And I think earlier on in this conversation, I had issues with Alice Winokur's screenplay to a certain degree. However, I just want to note one thing before we move on to the next uh, diabolical film, is that Alice Winokur writes Stella's character impeccably. To, to, to write a seven-year-old with complexity that Stella has to go through, and profound inclination and how that character has to develop to the situations around her, which are not the norm whatsoever, has to be done in a matter that's complex because it's not the easiest thing to write about because it's, because it's quite fresh and unique. And to that degree, I think Alice Winnicott does an absolute marvel at, at writing a, a really organic, authentic character with, with, with wonderful depth. And I think... The, the the actress who plays Stella here is criminally underrated. I think she's phenomenal. How I mean, there's a scene where she she has a, a I believe is a is a physical with a with a father, and she's going to go see see her mother bef before they lift off. And there's just this there's this weight towards that character where she, she's decades ahead of ahead of everybody else in her age group with the talent that she emotes. I mean, she's just like this fabulous young actress. Who, who, who just arrives on set in the film, puts in a, an excellent performance. And granted, she doesn't actually do a lot. Again, it's, it's not a film which maybe to, to, to her, um, maybe to, for, to benefit the, the actress, the young actress in particular, is that there's not a lot of dialogue here as well. So there's not a lot of difficulty in to express emotion. But, but not, nevertheless, the, the emotive response, physically and visually, the, 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 character, the actress who plays Stella, it's 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 actually quite marvelous, and I think leaving after that, there's like like you you said, Jacob. The more I think about this film, the more I talk about it, the more it, it becomes slightly more elevated to me. So, uh, discussing the thing about Matt Dillon and getting both your opinions on that, and sort of it being a quintessential French film, it's interesting to have that debate because it it's sort of changing in my mind uh, uh, the the more we go on. It's just like I said. It's just a shame that Proxima didn't particularly have the. I don't think it, I don't think it's a it's a cinematic film to a degree where you need to see it in IMAX, but it, it did deserve to be seen and have 
a far bigger reach in debate than it than it ought to have done now. So I'm, I'm glad we can at least touch upon a, a film that ultimately will will sadly get lost in this in this market. I mean, some just to add to your last point, I think some films are deserve will deserve to be seen on the big screen, not because they're big spectacles, but because you get to sit in the dark with you and the screen and your own thoughts just isolate from the entire world with no distractions with with, with without your phone without your twitter without your social media so that the, the the universe you exist in consists of your thinking and the character trying to and and, well, and the film trying to say something for lack of a better word profound and yeah and that's why well it's a shame that you know we can't see it on in cinemas Last but not least, let's transition to Sally Potter's The Roads Not Taken. I didn't even ask where you were going when all this happened. I went to the dentist, and now we're going to the optometrist, if we ever get there. Can you manage? Look, do you want me to come too? I, I suppose I could rearrange some things and... That's the... Nestor is there? No. Nestor? Oh, Nestor is no longer with us. He's in heaven. No. Doggy heaven. No. He was a very good dog. Oh, Nestor! Nestor! Is he getting agitated? We can give him something to calm him down. Why does everyone continue to refer to Dad as he? As if he's not here. What is he? The Road's Not Taken follows 24 hours in the life of father and daughter Leo and Molly as she grapples with the challenges of dealing with her father's chaotic mental state. I'll start on The Road's Not Taken and I think I'm probably going to be the most bullish here in the fact that I don't want to sound hyperbolic, but here we go. This is my first Sally Potter feature and I'm sad to say this very well maybe my last first and foremost as i've said i haven't seen any sally potter film that's not to say i don't know about her influence her aesthetic and her overall um uh, influence in the zeitgeist however from what i have seen about potter which, which is a wonderfully evocative director with notable credits to a name, this is not one of them thematically and speaking on genre in particular Potter's film is incredibly indecisive and muddled. On one hand, it's a crippling look at the devastating impact of dementia, quite literally in this case. There's no subverted take. It's not subverted through genre. This is hands on, hands on the wheel, a dark look at the early onset of, of, a, of a devastating disease. And on the other, it's an insight into an existential crisis. But the two here are mutually exclusive, but don't have to be whatsoever. And that's the main problem is you've got these two narratives. And it's just so frustrating that they don't meld when so easily that they're a part of the same family. I mean, if you want to see a film like this, it's Gus Van Sant's Don't, don't Worry, Won't Get Far on Foot. That's a far better example that digs deeper into illness and a psychological insight and exploration of the character before the illness takes over and after. Here, I mean, let's talk about, don't worry, won't get far on foot, just for an example. Before that character's accident, 
there's character there there's a charisma there there's depth there we understand who that person is and the positives and the negatives of what that person can create and what he, and what he chooses not to and the well the inclination of his decision surrounding him and then after the said accident we explore the same themes about what he can do what he can't do what he wants to do to a really really poignant degree here not the case before you have this existential crisis of of javier bardem with i believe he's in greece on a greek island which is a holiday resort and he owns a bar and he's this writer looking for to, to, to to write his memoir into a narrative book and he's asking all these random people he gets he becomes sort of infatuated with this character which felt incredibly uncomfortable to watch before long i mean this is not a film that's just linear in the fact that we get one story before we get one story after it cuts back and forth to a in my opinion horrible degree so we have this this story act beforehand where we're seeing this character with his ill decision um he's, he's made life choices that are horrific he's trying to find common ground within himself very interesting material the execution not so much and then you have the story afterwards where we find actually there's three stories here i do beg my pardon there's a story with his first love with him having an existential crisis in the middle and then the final to it where you have this diagnosis the first story with his childhood sweetheart is horrific we have we learn nothing it's boring it's literally as Jakob is probably going to say in, in his in his segment but i'm going to cut him to the chase here it feels like an inirato sequence it feels like something out of, out of Babel or it just, it, just, it just felt so out of place. And then you find no depth, no exploration. Salma Hayek's in here for a bloated cameo. She does nothing. No detriment to herself. Overall, it's the, it's, it's the screenplay. Then you have the bit in the middle that I've just spoke about before in the Greek island, which goes nowhere. However, there are themes that linger that you feel are going to come into its own in its third act. But the film cuts away when you're about to get into the chunk of meat, the, the, the real nitty-gritty character depth and then the third art with Elle Fanning is downright atrocious there are three separate films in here put together with no inclination of pacing with no inclination of, 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 of intertwining and making an overall stronger theme or conversation and I'm going to get into the third act in a little bit because that's my own most problematic but I think let's touch about Javier Bardem for a second in his own right fantastic actor however here he is sadly miscast to every degree he is a silent emotive character actor but showcases very phys- very little physical and emotional conviction all you have to look at everybody knows look at um well, weird thing but you look at no country for old men skyfall in particular as well he he has a dominating presence through his physicality but he's a he, he showcases very little physical emotion where i mean that he's not very good with his eyes he's not very good uh, to showcase emotion in my opinion and here that is what is needed this is a performance that demands an, a furious evocative emotional conviction and it falls severely flat on both fronts for Bardem and it's difficult to sort of find the common ground between if it's his fault by not being able to do that which I've inferred so you may you may get my idea I'm going here or it's Potter's fault and even though I think Bardem is severely lacking within that department of acting, I think Potter has some issue to take hold of with her casting here. It's just not here whatsoever. 
Before the dementia diagnosis, the performance of Bardem's is flat, uninspiring, and quite frankly, it's unironically ghostly. You, you just, I mean, it does work because you're watching a man that isn't there. Physically, he is, but the soul, the mental state, it, it's flying solo somewhere else. That could be a strength of the film, but there's absolutely no combination of them all together that, that, that would think, well, would give sort of an ideal to the audience that that's what Potter's going on. And then the latter half, for me, is even worse. And this is where I'm going to touch on about the Ellie Fanning issue. Ellie Fanning, much like Bardem, they're very similar actors and actresses. They've got a very similar template where it's very one note and they can do one thing incredibly well. But when you overstep the mark or you add a little bit more depth to that character, they both struggle. And I think Fanning showcases a comatose performance with zero character depth or interest for that matter. It almost comes across like she's back in that Woody Allen film, A Rainy Day in New York, which is sacrilege to mention but it feels like she's there for the paycheck, but she's also there for the experience. And sadly, while I can understand that and accept that she wants to work with auteurs, if you will, these two auteurs are not making films that they once were. And I think Fanning's maybe trying to get a career working with these type of people in an ideal circumstance, maybe 20 years before the fact. Because now... Potter is far from what she when she made Orlando or, or, or Alan with 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 his features. Now, let's just talk about the, the ending for not the ending but the, the the third act. This is where the film has it ha, should have its most emotionally convicting um, moments regarding dementia, illness, accepting that you, your hero or your father or a parent for the matter is not the same person he once was or they once were, not because they've changed politically or, 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 or because they've gone through a, um, a moment of distrust within that, that circle, but for no fault of their own, through a physical ailment and a psychological ailment. This film comes across, often than not, like parody on occasion. How the film ends is quite contextually patronizing because it simply just ends. But ultimately, the film has a moral compass that is so off kilter, unbelievable. If I could describe how this film ends, which I won't because this, this film comes out in September on VOD, uh, speci specifically in the UK, it ends in one of the most dumbfounded expressions I I've probably seen regarding this sub subject matter. And to describe it would be ill to actually having to witness it. So I'll let everyone do that uh, for their own um, uh, purposes. But it's a film that then begs the question of, if you have these themes and you don't deliver on them, does it not just feel like that, that, that it's quite patronizing, the fact that it's, it's maybe not what's the word it's not ripping off the fact but it, it, it's it's touching on elements that feel quite inappropriate regarding this the, 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 how the film touches on <laughs> overall this is this for me generally a disaster i mean there's nowhere i can really go from there it, it, it's just ultimately a disaster for 89 minutes it goes nowhere the character study is appalling I'm sure Jakob will talk more about its inspirations in Aratu, so I'll let him go there because he's already not happy with me. I mean, 
oh, this is just a disaster on all fronts. I, I'm not, I, I feel like I am on the same front as you are with Summerlin, Jakub. However, I think I hate this more. This, this film has every opportunity to touch on elements, to be uh, this thought-provoking, quite poignant, compelling feature. And under, uh, uh, compared to Summerlin, where me and Carson, I think, are on agreement where I don't think Summerlin's a film where you can do that. You can do it, but I don't think the film's wanting to do that. Here, Potter most certainly is going for that. And, and oh, oh boy, this is how, how she undercuts it and how she misses the, 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 how she uh, how she misses what she's going for here is genuinely, well, it's, it's a phenomenal, um, it, it's genuinely qu- quite, a, how do I finish this? It's generally quite a shocking moment to behold in its own right of just how far this is from expectation of what she wanted. I think I think our thoughts are more or less similar on this. And actually, I'm super glad that you mentioned Summerland <laughs> with this because I have a feeling that you now there's there's a fair degree of symmetry in in there, although it's not immediately obvious in my opinion, because when you think about um, what Summerland's doing, in my opinion at least, what Summerland's doing and and why it's doing it is corrupt in 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 a way that I mentioned before, as in well, it's it's coming from a dis- dishonest place of place of someone who doesn't care about the issues they're raising. Whereas in here, I think it's it's a bit different because I well at least well this is something okay I need to come clean here. Up until very recently, well I watched it I think on Saturday. I was pretty much in the same boat. I was absolutely. In the in the boat of I hate this film and I uh, I'm happy to tattoo this across my forehead if I need to, right? So, <laughs> but then again I, I read a little review on RogerEbert.com um, that some uh, when someone meant or the reviewer mentioned um, that Sally Porter who wrote this story as well, the reason she wasn't she was she wrote this film about this well a, an aging man who's suffering from early onset dementia and then it was was to process her own personal grief over her brother suffering from the same disease and okay well so at least the sort of the cause is holy but the execution fucking sucks <laughs> if you if, you know if you forgive me again my poor language skills um because it, it, yeah, it, it's just as you said. Like it feels like it, it feels like um well not exactly even as a like an Inyaritu film, per se, but like an Inyaritu film two two degrees removed. As in like Sally Porter wa- watched like the Burning Plane, which is directed by Guillermo Arriaga, who worked with Inyaritu on his first three films, and then he kind of made his own Me Too Amores Peros, right? Uh, and, and and which which was a bit of a disaster. Um, so this kind of looks like she wanted this kind of look and this kind of structure, and then to put these sort of little this, this sort of in her mind profound conversation. Um, and the, and the, in in principle, the conversation about um, okay, well, how uh, processing someone who uh, whose brain deteriorates and who's for or medically speaking, no longer there because when you think about who you are, you're not a human with you know arms and legs. You could make an argument that you're a brain piloting a meat puppet, right? 
and then what happens is when when the brain deteriorates you die like you, the meat puppet doesn't give a shit like the, it's just a hunk of meat and and fluids so when this thing kind of slowly withers away and dies you die with it and then it's very difficult to pass to people and i think that so this is why in principle the film was had all I, I would I would have been able to give it all the latitude in the world to make it happen. It just happens to be made by a bunch of pretentious twats who just 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 drown themselves in their own sort of self-perceived pretentiousness and and well, sort of artificial profundity. It's just for some reason it's just this conversation about maybe seeing a dementia patient as someone who's not not necessarily no longer there but just someone who's drifting in and out of parallel universes and reliving life uh, in a way that he or she well, chose not to live in the first place is a sort of coping mechanism but it's, it's kind of missed almost altogether and as a result in the end it's kind of telegraphed in a very obtuse way it's just it doesn't work it's it's problematic and well, maybe i'll disagree with you on on one thing because i kind of feel that l fanning is just is one thing that kind of saves this to for me despite the fact that the camera is never pointing at her because it's obsessed with javier bardem's character who just well waddles along in bones for the for, for the most part and when he's sort of in these little two extra parallel arcs he's he's being well, either completely unlikable or uh, or completely manufactured and it and doesn't uh, it doesn't lend itself uh, himself to to establish a connection with the viewer he's all he's he's a tool and all these people are all these characters are are tools and, and this is why it kind of feels like not um, amores peros which is which i personally liked when it, when it released it feels like a crash it feels like someone making a pretentious movie, but not about racism, but about dementia, with all these sort of inter interweaving stories, and uh, and they just get hijacked by their own message, and this makes them look almost disrespectful to the subject matter that they're trying to grapple with, and then the ending kind of just maybe the only thing that kind of saves it in a way but it, but it's not enough to save it by any stretch of the imagination because where the, ca the character of El Fanning goes in principle again it's it's worthy of discussion um don't want to spoil it for any for anyone but um, <laughs> but it just it, it it doesn't have the air to it doesn't have the time and the air to sort of let let this moment breathe because it has to wrap up because all this, because for some reason someone thought that you know I don't know a good final cut of this film will be 85 minutes which by the way it's very long 85 minutes if you think about it 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 feel this is a movie that feels like work and it is uh, well as a result it's not difficult to to see it as a failure which it is but when I sat down and watched this movie. Everything I've heard about this film is just like what I've just heard. Just absolutely tearing it apart, one of the worst of the year. So I walked in with the lowest of low expectations. And I will say, completely dull, absolutely boring, zero inspiration behind it, hard to sit through. I don't think it's the worst of the year. I think it is a comp 
competently, even if it's uninspired, a competently made film. The cinematography is fine. Javier Bardem and Ellie Fanning, I think, are completely uninspired, especially Ellie Fanning is having a rough year between this and All the Bright Places, or I believe whatever the Netflix movie is called. <laughs> I think that they are completely dull, but I would not say that they're like horrible. I would not say that they're terrible or cringy in any way. The entire film, I would say. It's not cringy. It's not, you know, the worst of the year. I think it's just completely unremarkable in pretty much every aspect. I think all you have to say is you can mention that Capone is a more emotional look at a deteriorating mind. And I think that says all you need to, you know, hear, considering what that film is from a filmmaking standpoint. Like, when Capone is more emotionally poignant than your film, I think it just says something. I don't think it's horrible. I don't think, you know, this is a film that, oh, it's such an embarrassment for really anyone involved. I just think it is completely dull in every single aspect that you can think of. Um, and just unremarkable. I'm going to just go into your point in a minute, Carson, because I think you raised something very interesting. Just regarding Jakob's point about Sally Potter's having influence in this because it, um, well, she's having quite poignant influence on it as this happened to her brother. I don't, I, I feel slightly, I don't want to sort of contradict myself here because I feel like I'm going to have to own my, own my points and my opinions, but I do slightly feel towards her cause, wanting to sort of elevate the material into a way that she can, she's, she's probably trying to um, go through this issue in a, in a manner where the same with Ben Affleck with, with finding the way back is going through something else. It's, it's, it's this compass of trying to explore pain and through a, through a manner of filmmaking which can be quite cathartic however Potter's style here doesn't suit the subject matter I find I think she is an incredibly um, I think she's an incredibly talented director her production designs and how she twists and subverts tales Orlando again is one notable uh, film to watch of hers I think you can go one way with this type of film and go for the other. I think in one way you can do a straight list film and just explore d d dementia and, and that's no detriment to the topic or, or, or your aesthetic style or whatever. I think it's just, you can go very straight list on this and really get a really touching um, subject matter or you can do that and elevate the material. I, th I think you can do, you can do something very similar to the Robin Williams film, what dreams may come is that you can have this really dark subject matter and this almost tragic subject matter uh, in that film, Robin Williams' character kills himself to, to, to be in, in the afterlife with, with his wife. But it's ha it has this really astonishing aesthetic. There's so much color, so much art, J just this breathtaking, really poignant discussion with this fantasy element that ultimately not only helps the audience swallow this bitterness um, and, and this tragedy easier, but also adds this injection of a, a flair and flavor that, that helps the engagement value. The, 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 the issue is that when you try to blend that with, with a straight lace film and they just don't go together whatsoever. Unfortunately, that's what Potter's come stuck with here because she's trying to elevate the material into this, I wouldn't say fantasy, but it is quite clear from what you spoke about, Jacob, on, 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 on second thoughts. Perhaps that these these flash backwards and flash forwards is is Javier Bardem's character trying to go through history and make a difference to his life and, and slightly make amends to, to issues. However, 
no matter what he does, uh, this story goes the same way. It's sort of like his purgatory in a way. So I can get that. But for me, it still doesn't elevate the material enough because there's no conscious dynamic of actually implementing that from Potter. And the second thing is that it is a bad comparison um, when you have to compare Capone to this. And I think Carson's exactly right. There is not much difference. And when you talk about Josh Trank having the issues he has, and then having Sally Potter, who is, a, like I said, a wonderful filmmaker, and you're having issues to compare Capone with, with this um, psychological illness of dementia in, in, the, in the character study that Josh Trank presents compared to how Potter and Bardem portray there's not much difference. I mean, it's probably, it's probably what a stone throw difference between them both. They're very similar. And ironically enough, the, the conviction is also very similar in ways that it's, it's slightly wooden. There's obviously a, a, a profound and conscious look at physical deterioration through a visual um, element, but it just, they, both of them just don't work. And who would have thought that you'd, you, we like, and who would have thought that, Carson would have said it. Who would have thought in general that Capone and by fucking Josh Trank, which no no disrespect to Trank whatsoever, but that's a different league to what we're talking about. Sally Potter with the roads not taken with the performances that she, she she could have had in this film. I mean that that explains it in in in, in a in a nutshell for me. So <laughs> thanks, Carson. I get well, I get I get the sort of criticism of this being dull because I felt this myself. Um, it's undeniable. Well, it, it kind of feels like I'm trying to sort of analyzing a, a plane crash as opposed to reviewing a, a, a film in a way. And then a, because at the uh, sort of deepest level, I can see, I think I can see where where this was supposed to go and what it was supposed to feel like. And, and it's a tragedy that it didn't. Um, because you could, you could, you could honestly, I don't know, maybe if, if this material was handled differently and or maybe if the filmmaker didn't try to feel like, a, I don't know, like she, she didn't feel, she didn't try to feel like, um, I come across as like this sort of cerebral auteur like Charlie Kaufman or Michel Gondry or Iñárritu or some, like she, if, if she tried to handle this a little bit more head on, this story would have been better but then again on the other hand okay well then she would get just still alice instead right where it's just okay a straight up story about people losing their wits and then is this what you want to say because i think that i think her sort of initial thought was not to so much tackle the subject matter of the deteriorating mind but sort of find try to articulate the idea of finding solace in in thinking that someone whose mind is sort of slipping away into the ether is actually doing something else while we're not aware of like as as though to use a comparison when i don't know you'd, you'd think that i don't know when your relative who's in a coma you'd you'd like to think that they're actually they're dreaming that they're not just wasting away and not being there anymore or they're trapped in their own brain and they can't communicate like the because these are scary thoughts. It's just to think of where, when you think about it, that someone's actually trapped in their own mind and they, well, they lost the ability to speak to you or to communicate in any way because you know the, the brain just refuses to kind of communicate with the rest of the body. But it's just, 
conveyed using shorthand and cliches like uh, I think we spoke off air on just before we started and where uh, there, there are little wrinkles in there that are just unneeded like a scene in the supermarket where Javier Bardem just gets lost and then he uh, finds a dog and he thinks this dog because well, this, this dog reminds him of someone else um, and then this lady comes along and she tells him to fuck off to his own country this as though Potter wanted to just quickly just make a little jab and say, "Well, well, I'm aware of politics too, right? Uh, uh, this is not needed. Like that, you don't have to say anything about anything. Like, oh, you, you can just make make the story a bit more focused, and then and, and we will be fine. Um, even even in its unfocused format, as as it already is by design, because you have not one but not two but three narratives with. I, I don't want to say a star quality sort of actors but very sort of recognizable faces like Sama Hayek or Laura Linney um, or Elle Fanning for that matter where you kind of have to have them occupy the same space and exist in there at the same time or even though they don't most of them don't don't meet in face to face um, but in your sort of headspace they will be always kind of present so in in a way, I, I feel okay. Well, I I don't feel as painful. It, it's not painful to for me to say that Summerland sucks, but it it is painful to me to say that this film sucks because it could have been so much better. It could have been much more evocative. It could have it could have been more thought provoking. It could have been more uh, touching, for lack of a better. It is. It, it is almost cynical in a way, in in, in its in, in the way it kind of handles what happens to Bardem and what happens to El Fanning at the end. It is, I don't want to say misguided, but it's flawed, heavily flawed, and and that's and that's all I can say. Just to touch on a topic that you you spoke about, Jacob, is the uh, the moment in Costco, I believe where Javier Bardem's character does uh, pick up the dog because obviously with his, with his uh, disease, he believes it's his, his, his old dog. And then you have this American woman who runs over and then she says, why don't you just fuck off back to Mexico? It, it, is, it is a scene that works, and, but it does come out of nowhere because it ultimately undercuts the actual tragedy of the scene itself because then you're thinking, oh, wow, oh, well. Like it just puts on, piles on the plate of, and so then, then in the same breath, undercuts the the tragedy of the scene itself. But it also rises again as well because when they're in the cab towards the end of the film, Javier Bardem tries to tries to uh, open the door and get out and hits his head, and he's he's talking about passport, passport, and Ellie Fanning, and it's quite on the nose dialogue. And Fanning says, you know, you've you've been a citizen for twenty three years. It, it 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 is like I think that scene is far more worse than the first scene that you're talking about. And I understand your, your problems with it because I think it does come out quite left field. While the first inclination of it works because it, it but then again, it does undercut it, but it does work overall because it's just, you know, shit upon shit for this character. It's quite horrible to, to witness, even though this man is suffering from this horrible disease. There's also more issues that probably unbeknownst to him, he has to deal with, which is, which is a sad realization of, of the world we live in. But the scene in the cab just felt so out of place. It, it felt like Potter had done what she needed to convey, and then just for the sake of it, thought, let's add this again. 
But the second scene doesn't add anything overall. It, it just came out very, very, very left wing. Sorry, left wing. It came out very, very left field. And it's an issue that I think a, a few uh, contributors had with the rental last week where we spoke about, you know, as a scene with that film. Bear in mind, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a straight list horror film, but it's a thriller horror. And there's like a, a comment which feels quite offhand about a woman um, having a, a Pakistani name and a Pakistan origin and how she wasn't able to rent the uh, rental itself rather than against the white man. And there's, there's like a brief comment on it and then the film just succumbs to that and that's, that's it, nothing else. Here, it feels like a very similar technique used that they have the opportunity to say it and they do. And to be honest, it'd be interesting to get Carson's uh, com uh, comment next because we spoke about this um, in a different matter about uh, LGBTQ plus representation in cinema, where the, there's an issue of tokenism or do we expect filmmakers to just comment on it regardless of what the film entails? Do, do, we, do we appreciate that as an audience or do we, just, do we need that no matter what? So it'd be interesting to get that comment next, but very similar to the, to the rental, as I said, it feels like it's just dropped in and then left. And I'm just left wondering whether does that help the film or is it detrimental to the film? I think it's interesting because at no point in anything having to do with this film was that like a main selling point of the conversation within the movie, right? Like this is a movie about dementia. This is a movie about a deteriorating mind and how that affects your loved ones and how that affects yourself. So where I like, I don't think they're doing it just like check a box. Unlike Disney, they're not promoting the hell out of this moment saying, oh, this movie is about racism or anything like that. So I respect that, you know, to a point, but I also think it was in completely out of place and didn't add anything to where like the film didn't need, it, if they didn't have that in there, it wouldn't feel out of place because that was never like the purpose. So where I think it has a good heart and like I can respect the film for trying to say something about it. Also, it probably just shouldn't have been in there just from a storytelling standpoint. Um, and it wouldn't have felt out of place as if they just were like, oh, they're not touching on racism. How dare they? Because this is not a story ever about racism, really, except for like those like that tiny moment. It's just not a point in the film. So it, I think it has a good heart. I don't judge the film for saying it, for, like for having that moment as if they're checking off a box like Disney. But I also just don't think it should have been in there. Well, I, well, I don't think, um, I think we deny this film a heart. I mean, Maybe I think even Jack was slightly warmed up to it um, over <laughs> over the course of the last fifteen to twenty minutes. But um, yeah, I would totally say that your comments almost kind of just reminded me that maybe my crash comparison to like the Paul Haggis crash comparison, not, not the plane crash sort of analogy, is kind of the more sort of apt in here because uh, well, it is it is a single issue story. It, it and. Uh, wrapped into a complex narrative which is hijacked by the, the by the structure of this narrative as in there isn't the characters are, are kind of secondary to, to here no one gives a shit about about anyone because no one's really truly explored because how are we supposed to explore Javier Bardem's character other than um because we don't see his growth we see the what ifs of who he is we don't see we don't see him as a person right and and then we don't see who Elle Fanning is because the camera is not pointing point, pointed at her because she's almost a secondary the second fiddle to, to to the to the whole story. So how am I supposed to care about what happens to him or what um, 
or, or why his, his his mind like why am I supposed to care about this man this man's mind going sideways if I don't know him and then honestly it kind of feels like Sally Potter didn't care either all she wanted to to focus on was the sort of me- grieving or coping mechanism and then I don't think that's enough and then this is why it kind of looks like it's just a bit of a patchwork of things because it on its own the film's not enough so you have these little sort of things kind of sp- spliced into it like the sort of um, the passport scene or the Costco scene or even the sort of scene with um, the two guys washing Javier Bardem's feet um, it's it's a hodgepodge and who wants that? I don't. To round out Coppercast, we like to end on some of our latest film or TV recommendations. After just going on a massive fury about uh, Sally Potter's The Road's Not Taken, I'm going to have to go first in here. I'm going to have to recommend Orlando because Sally Potter, for me, as I said, I've only really seen small instances of her films. I have, I think I have actually seen Orlando, I believe, if that's the recommendation I'm talking about. I'm pretty sure I know what I'm on about, although don't quote me. Um, it's a film that has this excessiveness to it that is so wonderfully self-indulgent and so provocative and evocative to that degree of taking a quintessential tale and just throwing flair at it. And it's very similar to, to Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Now, say what you will about Baz Luhrmann and Romeo and Juliet, but Alando is a film that is excessive in nature and excessive in flair and excessive in personality in all the correct ways. And I feel slightly sorry for Sally Potter where I've just annihilated, annihilated the latest film because I always want to see not, not only filmmakers succeed, but I want that, that, that flair, I want that auteur to come back and just make something incredible. Unfortunately, um, The Road's Not Taken isn't going to be that. However, she is undeniably an exceptional filmmaker. So if anyone has any time this week, please go out and find Orlando. I believe... It does have a BFI release um, on a Blu-ray, so it's mostly it's most readily available for anyone to uh, to watch. So please go out there and support um, uh, Alice Sally Porter as a filmmaker because she is an incredible director when um, showcasing a film like Orlando. Carson, let's take you next. Speaking of women making their directorial debut, one film I got to see this week that I was pretty excited about was Yes, God, Yes. This is Carrie Maine's directorial debut, probably known the most for their screenwriting uh, on Obvious Child. I don't know if it's coming to VOD or it just got released on VOD, one of the two. Uh, But this is about a young girl named Alice, because we don't have enough main characters named Alice on this episode already, Um, starring uh, Natalia Dyer from Stranger Things, probably the most known that you'll know you know, you'll see her from. Um, It's about a young girl who grows up in a Christian household, in a Christian community, and it takes place in the early 2000s. The internet is just starting to take off with AOL Messenger and such. I mean, it's just about her growing up, discovering her sexuality, discovering um, just this other side of growing up in this, you know, very protective Christian environment and just kind of the natural journey she goes on throughout high school. It's very fun, very sweet, um, not to trigger Jakob, you know, it is sweet. I'll just warn you now. Um, but it's very fun. It has this lovely early 2000s identity that just, if you grew up in that time, it's going to make you laugh out loud. Um, 
it's just genuinely very like just a beautiful film from this year so far it reminds me a little bit of like book smart if you enjoy that kind of humor and that kind of just like early teen environment i think you're gonna really like yes god yes um and i'd highly recommend it Jakob. I was coming here. I was coming here thinking what what I would sort of pitch for my recommendation a little bit torn because I wanted to kind of leave it out for later almost. But and um, and I was kind of thinking, oh, maybe I should recommend cursed films. But I'm writing an article on this. But I think let's stay with the theme of female film filmmakers because it kind of shaped up to be a sort of female centric episode. So I will sort of. Um, go with my original plan and recommend Eliza Hitman's Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which is um, not only a recommendation, this is this is coming straight from the heart. This is the best film of the year, in my opinion, and tops the five floods and tops the assistant. It's on another level. And it's a film, and, well, even though it feels, because it, you know, if you if you for some reason you, you're slept under a rock in in your lockdown sort of household you don't know what it is this is basically a, a, a little account almost a, I don't I don't want to say it's a day in life because it takes place over uh, over a longer period of time but sort of like a little sort of small account of uh, a girl who discovers she's pregnant a teenage girl who discovers she's pregnant and she decides and to go to New York to have an abortion. Um, and this film touched me in such a profound way that only a few films a year can kind of just do this for me. Something like The Farewell or The Eighth Grade sort of did this for me. And this thing does it, for, did it for me again for completely different reasons. It's a haunting, scary, distressful and upsetting account of how the world, the world sort of especially of young teenage women is geared against them and it's how 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 frightening and how absolutely devastating it is to 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 be grow to be growing up these days surrounded by um by by well i don't want to say by men but well but yeah but by men who are all who, who view you as an object of sexual desire and nothing else and it and hitman's filmmaking and just in storytelling just conveys all that and more with with without ever resorting to preaching or to telling you what to feel it just shows you a, a woman at a crossroad in, in her life and and lets the sort of the truth of this character speak for her and this is why i think it this film needs to be watched and needs to be processed and and talked about because it's probably going to be one of the most important films to ever be released this year and and i hope this will be the case because it's an absolute gem and it should be seen by everyone well that is it for this week's episode of clappercast where can we find everyone on social media Jakob? well you can find me on uh, Twitter at Talk About Film and on uh, Letterboxd at uh, letterboxd.com slash Ravik and also you can find my ramblings on Clapper. And Carson? Letterboxd is just my name, Carson Tamar, on Twitter. If you want to see all my reviews and thoughts and bad takes, you can go just at BP underscore movie reviews. Probably just the best place to find all my work. 
You can find me both on Twitter and Letterboxd with the username at JackLukeSharp. And you can find all the latest releases of film and television reviews at www.clapperltd.co.uk and find out social links on Clapper at Facebook and at ClapperLTD on Twitter. Make sure to rate, subscribe or follow us to be notified when the next episode comes out. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema.